Good morning. Good morning. My name is Dean Miller, and I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church Vienna. And it's my honor and privilege to welcome you to our worship this morning, particularly this third Sunday of Advent. If you're a guest, we are so glad you are here. And you can follow along with what we do by using this service card and the slides you'll see over my shoulder throughout the service. Congratulations on even being in this room because it means you had to make it past all the cookie tables on your way here. I went out there and was like, wow, I'm kind of hungry now. So um, that'll be for later after worship this morning. And our worship is unique today. This is a particularly unique Sunday for us because we take part in a worship service called Lessons and Carols. This is a service that's uh, decades old. It was actually formed first in 1880 in Wales by a gentleman named Edward Benson, who wanted his people, then people in his town, not to get lost in pubs on Christmas Eve. So he created this service. So way to go. You're here at 10 a.m. Great job. Um, and a few years later, he became the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the service began to spread. And so the outline for what we use is actually crafted in about 1918 by another gentleman named Ed, uh, Eric Milner White, who was the chaplain of a college in Cambridge called King's College. And just about six weeks after the end of World War I, he was burdened because he felt like people needed to know the good news of Jesus in light of the devastation of what that war brought. And so they crafted this, which began a few years later to be broadcast around the world on the BBC, which many of you may have heard. And we're so honored that we get to carry on that tradition this morning. The service is arranged around a series of lessons or readings from the Bible and carols or hymns that lead the congregation from the fall of humanity in the garden with Adam and Eve to God's promises of a king and kingdom in the Old Testament to the words of prophets and their longing for the Savior to come and up to the birth of Christ in the city of Bethlehem. You should stand when we sing and sit when scripture is read. You should know that if your kids squirm or maybe cry out or a little bit uh, irritable, that's totally great and fine. We love having kids in here. There is a nursery still in the back if you want to take your little one out there during the time. And during the short homily and the prayers, kids will go off to their kids, children's classes like normal and then come back for communion. So this morning, through scripture and silence, prayer and song, let us hear again the wonderful story of redemption. And hearing, let us rejoice and respond with faith. Would you join me in our opening for Advent and then in our prayer for lessons and carols? Surely the Lord is coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Let's pray this again together. Almighty God, the Lord of history and Redeemer of humanity, open our ears this day to hear in Holy Scripture the story of God's loving purpose from the time of our rebellion against him until the glorious redemption brought to us by his holy child, Jesus. Enable us to hear once more the message of the angels, to go to Bethlehem, to see the Son of God lying in the manger, and to make this place joyful with our carols of praise. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing as we sing. Under night. 
all that there is, and then heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to, to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reaches out his hand and takes also of the tree of life and eat and lives forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. with his creation, to invite them to be part of his glorious life, seems thwarted. And after Adam's sin, things keep getting worse. Cain kills his brother Abel. The people grow so wicked that God destroys almost everything in a flood. And then, the people ignore God's command to fill the earth and try to consolidate and assert their power by building a tower to reach the heavens. And then, speaking into the chaos of a sinful and broken world, just as he spoke creation into being at the dawn of time, he calls out, to one man, Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. 
and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. In time, God did give old Abraham as many descendants as there are stars in the sky through his 12 sons. Those sons and their families grew into a large family. And then a small nation called Israel through centuries in Egypt. After living in bondage as slaves, God set them free and led them back to the land he had promised Abraham. After Israel settled in Canaan, they had many years where they remembered God and his promises to Abraham. Sadly, they also had many years where they wandered from God. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sometimes it looked like God had forgotten Israel in their wandering from him. But he, creator of the stars, was always faithful to Abraham's descendants. Please stand. So oh. 
through and eventually wanted a king. So God gave them a good king, David, a shepherd boy from the town of Bethlehem. Despite his many failings, he is described as a man after God's own heart. God promised David that Israel's kingship would stay in his family line forever. And one day, from his descendants, would come the true king of Israel, also from Bethlehem, who would reign on David's throne eternally, and who would shepherd God's people and bring peace, not just to Israel, but to the whole world. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Um, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the, uh, until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then, re- then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Silently, the wondrous gift. 
Please be seated. After David, Israel eventually turned away from God. Only a few generations later, God's people were judged, conquered, and taken into exile. God's promise to Abraham of becoming a great nation and a blessing to the nations seemed at an end. But through the prophets, like Isaiah, the Lord declared that one day he himself would come to gather his people, returning them from exile and establishing his kingdom. And God would bring the light of hope, not just to Israel, but to the world's darkness and despair, bringing justice and restoration, joy and lasting peace to all nations through his anointed. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken.
after centuries of silence and waiting for Isaiah's hopeful prophecies to be fulfilled from David's family, from Bethlehem, God himself would come as the savior and true king who would establish justice and offer lasting peace to all the peoples of the world. But when the creator of the stars came, it was in the most unexpected of ways. He came through the humble and lowly to a teenage peasant girl, and he was announced by a prophetic messenger born to an old and aged couple. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. To make his nation, God chose a 100-year-old man and his barren wife and gave them a son. To make his entrance into humanity, he chose a tiny, no-name town and a virgin's womb. In the book of Luke, Mary responds to this in a song. She sings of a God of surprising reversals, using weak people to accomplish mighty things, filling the hungry and sending the rich away empty-handed, calling a peasant girl blessed among women, the all-powerful King of Kings has come to us in the form of a helpless baby. Emmanuel, God with us, has drawn near.
So um, let's pray together. Dear God, thank you again that you are committed to us as your children, whatever age we are here this morning. Those sweet kids have just left, and also maybe we're here at 28 or 48 or 88, and you still see us as your children. As we reflect and think on these passages we've heard, would you um, help us trust you and open ourselves to you as our fathers and your commitment to us and your joy over us. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, again, I'm Dean Miller, and it's my privilege to be on staff here. And I'm just going to take a few minutes to reflect with you on what we've just heard. And as I do that, I want to ask you a, a question to think about what's the best surprise Christmas gift you've ever given or received? Right, a surprise. One you knew Christmas morning, they didn't know it was coming. Could be one coming, so don't say it out loud in case it's, you know, next Monday. But the surprise one, the one that comes to mind for me is when my wife and I were engaged, we were going to get married in early January, so right after Christmas, and we had just finished grad school, so we were just dirt poor, right? So all the expenses and everything about getting married, we're sort of pinching and figuring out what we can do, and we had wedding bands picked out, and I had started a new job as when I worked for Apple, and I had, wasn't going to get paid until the end of December, like early January. So we had the bands picked out the one that's on my hand and my wife's wedding band. And um, she said, well, can we get those before Christmas? And I said, you know, we really can't. We really don't have the money. We need to wait till early January after I've been paid. And I was stone cold lying to her at the time. And so I bought the bands and I sent the, the, her band home with her to Houston. I went to California to be with my parents. She went to Houston to be with her parents for the last time before we were married. And I gave it to my brother-in-law, um, who's another priest in this diocese now, which is pretty great. And I said, Travis, can you give this to Mary Ellen on Christmas morning? So, surprise, she opened it up. There's the wedding band. She calls me crying. It's pretty great. So, um, the best surprise you've guessed, given or received. Again, we've just been invited through these lessons to read into God's grand narrative of the world. And what we often remind ourselves as Christian, what we call Christians, is this is the gospel story, which plays out in four acts, right? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And in these lessons, we've heard of pain and promise and prophecy. Even centuries before the birth of Jesus, you can, you can hear the good news seeded into the soil of history of there is something going to happen to make the world right. And I think we could agree that as we look at the world and experience the world, there does feel like there's something wrong and needs something that needs to be turned right side. And as I was rereading through these lessons this week, I was struck by how surprising so many parts of the story are. This is a story I've heard essentially my whole life. And yet again, as I read and listened and considered these passages, I thought, boy, there's so much in here that's just super surprising. And I want to highlight four things, four surprising characteristics briefly for us this morning. The first is that throughout these passages and this history, and even in Jesus' birth, it's surprising how God keeps bringing order to our chaos. Over and over and over again, he's bringing order to this world. It could be said that you're in my gift to creation is chaos, which is frankly not that great a gift. Anybody who's ever cleaned up a room and watched someone come in, maybe you have little kids at home and just sort of show you what entropy looks like. You know, chaos is not really a gift. But what we keep bringing to God is that chaos, and what he keeps doing is organizing the entropy and bringing order to our lives. You can see it throughout these passages. Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve, of course, are confronted with their chaos as God comes and 
and visits them and confronts them so they can be free and not covered in their shame. And then he brings order by covering them in clothes and gives them the promise, the first promise of Jesus. In the lead up to Abraham, you heard Richard read just a few sentences to let you know, well, that's not going great, the run up to Abraham. If you know anything about Genesis 11, that's the Tower of Babel. Genesis 12 is Abraham, that's orderly. But boy, it's chaotic before, and then it's kind of chaotic after. From Abraham to David, again, Richard said a few things. There's lots of chaos. Judges, Joshua. But God's promise and provision, again, is order. You get David, this godly king who's told he's going to have an heir centuries later in 2 Samuel. But again, if you keep reading, you know, well, things don't go that great for David, and then it gets more and more chaotic for Israel. Even in the beautiful and well-known Luke passages from Luke 1 and 2 that are the fullest picture we have of the birth narratives of Jesus, around Mary and Joseph and the shepherds you're going to hear about in just a few minutes, Israel's in a very chaotic time. They're controlled by Rome and by the Herodian dynasty. Nobody would describe the Herodian dynasty as anything other than chaotic. In this story up to now, there's external chaos, world trauma, World issues, Egypt, Assyria, Philistia, Rome. There's internal chaos. Again, you heard it with Adam and Eve. I heard the sound of God and I was afraid because I'm exposed. As we often pray on Sundays, because from God no secret is hid. He knows your heart and my heart, your internal chaos. The sense you have maybe this morning of being insecure or lonely or feeling powerless or hopeless. Maybe you're carrying guilt or shame about something. And yet, it's ended that very chaos. That surprising act of Jesus is to enter into that chaos. That's what these lessons tell us about. So again, maybe you're here this morning and your sense of security or safety is being rocked. Maybe you feel hostility at work or your family's struggling or the world scene just feels super overwhelming. What these lessons beckon you to do is to offer the, that chaos to him. Don't be surprised. Jesus says, offer that chaos to me. I, I bring order. That's one of my strengths, God would say. Second thing I find surprising in this narrative is who God invites into this story. Picture you're casting this story, right? You're the, the, the director of casting, and you're going to stage it on here. Who might you make your stars? Who would you look for? People with the best degrees, sort of the tall, dark, and handsome of the ancient Near East. People with perfect skin or who went to that school or that university, got that on their SAT. People who are a first-string athlete in high school or college. People who do CrossFit or can bench so much. We as humans have a certain set of tendencies. We like to find what we think is the best. There's some great stats on um, the, the NFL draft. And one of the positions they... Always try to find teams, all the teams in the NFL need a good what? One position, super important, which our team locally hasn't had for decades. The quarterback. And there's all this science every year. This is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy. And then the statistics on how often we get that right are terrible. Utterly terrible. You'd have better luck throwing a dart to a board most of the time than the way this science actually plays out. And with God, God's cast, the way he would cast is, is an entirely surprising set of people. 
God uses not just what we think is the best and brightest, but he uses everyone. He uses some people who we might think are the best and brightest. He's used some that we might think are just not even on the stage. Maybe the people doing the lights. He uses people we discount or walk past or ignore. Abraham and Sarah, who are old and barren, for sure a surprising choice. David, who's youngest of his brothers, when we first meet David on the scene, the most striking thing about him first is that he's the least of his seven brothers. Israel itself is sort of a little baby nation. It's not impressive on the world scene at all. Elizabeth, we know, again in the Luke passages, is also old like Sarah and past childbearing years. Mary's young and not really in a position of power. The shepherds are sort of the blue-collar garbage men of Israel. They do highly important work but are most easily forgotten, and they're not the type of people you invite to your best parties because they're going to smell, be a little coarse, not really know the manners. But as we listen and read and we hear and see, we notice these people are not just surprising and invited. In fact, they're often the bearers of this order. They're, they come with the good news of the order God's doing, and sometimes God uses those people to bring the very order that he's sharing with us. It's surprising. God uses surprising people to bring his good news. Now, again, maybe you're here this morning and you feel discounted or unnoticed or like God would not turn toward you. You're, you probably think you're more like David or Elizabeth. You're someone who couldn't bear good fruit. So you're too surprising for God to use you. But those of us, and there are lots of us in this room who have given our lives to Jesus, would say it's super surprising we're here. Matter of fact, this whole room of people who follow Jesus is surprising. I know I am. Third surprise, the order, the people, and the places. Because maybe you read these passages and hear these songs and think, well, that's good for you, Dean, or everybody else here. They seem to know where they are and what they're doing. I bet those surprising people went to church or felt close to God or had good parents or better teeth or jobs or kids or hair or finances or a car than you have. They lived in better neighborhoods. Sure, it's surprising God brings order, and it's wonderful God invites surprising people, but where I am, Dean, there's no way. There's no way I'd be a part of this story. Because I'm angry, or I'm depressed, or I'm sad, or I'm anxious, or I'm not that gifted. Maybe I'm so young, maybe I'm a middle schooler or a high schooler, maybe I'm a retired senior citizen. Nothing orderly or beautiful or life-bearing or world-changing that could come from me because of where I am. And this story then would say you're wrong. It would actually call you a liar. Because what God does is surprising. He brings order from chaos. What God uses is surprising, the old and the young, the barren, the youngest, even the ignored. But three, where God works is surprising. It's surprising in this story where God works. There are two places in these texts that really jump out at me this week. What do you think they might be? If someone said to you, where does this story you just heard happen? Where's a place that jumps out to you? Nazareth? Where else? Where's, where's Jesus born again? What town? 
Bethlehem. Oh, little town. We don't say, oh, big, big town of Bethlehem. How strong and great you are. No, we even we call it little in the song. This is a small town. It's not on the royal path. When the wise men come, what we celebrate during Epiphany, where do they go to find Jesus? They go to Jerusalem. That's where you think Jesus would be. You don't go to Bethlehem. I went to high school in a town called Redlands, California. It's about halfway between Los Angeles and Palm Springs. And it was sort of the pre-Palm Springs of the early 1900s. So they have estates there and all these orange groves that used to be there. It had its own little mini Hollywood Bowl based on the Hollywood Bowl, for those of you who have ever been to the Hollywood Bowl. And nestled next to Redlands was a town called Ukaipa. And Ukaipa was so beloved that we call it Ukaipi. And if we ever played them in a sport, we called them Ukaipi High because we were so sensitive and tender. Bethlehem is Ukaipa. But yet that's where God's going to work. It's like the forgotten part of Fairfax County. I was thinking today, there's lots of us in this room that have lived in Canada. It's the Manitoba of the Near East. There, there are people who live in Canada that have to be reminded Manitoba is a part of Canada. And but for the prophecy of the baby, there are people who live in Israel that have to be reminded something's going to happen in Bethlehem. Herod has to go to the wise men. It's not like he can go to anybody to find out where the king's going to be born. That's how forgotten Bethlehem is. It's nowhere. But God stitches this gospel story through this place that makes no sense. Utterly surprising. Where else does God work? This other place that jumped out for me comes from Isaiah. Where Isaiah tells the people, the listeners, comfort my people. You need to, you need to make a highway for God. Where are you going to make that highway? In the wilderness. This is what the text says in Isaiah 40. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It doesn't say, hey, on 81 or 66, because those are the fastest and biggest roads, make a highway. With the super great skilled people, with the people that think they're great, with those who aren't humble, with people with lots of money, make the highway. People who think they're doing awesome, people who think they belong, that the king will come to them first. No, it says, in the wilderness and the desert. Uninhabitable, the kind of place you just want to go through. Nothing grows there and nothing good comes from there. That's what happens in the desert. But again, God's story is surprising. It's not Maple, it's not Pennsylvania Avenue, it's not Park Avenue, it's God's way through the desert and through the wilderness. So maybe you're here this morning and you would say, I, I am in the desert. I'm in the wilderness. It's been a hard stretch of months or years for you. And you look and listen to these passages and you think there's just no way that God would find me there. And this story would invite you to say no. Make way in the wilderness and in the desert. I love those places, God would say. I bear fruit in the desert places. So again, maybe this morning, you're not sure that your chaos is something God could deal with or that you're the right kind of person or that you're in the right space or place. But this good news, this well-known story by many of us would, would remind you how surprising you are. 
Maybe you're here and you felt like you're the Bethlehem of people. You're small and not worth visiting. Well, your life this morning is just too much for God to handle. If that's you, then we would say welcome to the story. Welcome to the story because you are a part of it, even if you would be surprised by it. Because you know what the most surprising thing is about this story? God. God is the most surprising part of this story. God loves you. That's the most surprising news in this whole story. You blew it, and he made it right. There's a great quote from the British 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon. God loves to forgive even more than you love to sin. God loves to forgive even more than you love to sin. The most surprising part of these lessons is God and his love for you. And you being a part of his story doesn't surprise him at all. In fact, it's what he wants you to do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this particular morning in a high school auditorium that you can sanctify and fill, we, we don't want anyone to leave feeling like they would not be invited into this story. Thank you for being a God of surprises and for your lavish, bountiful, wide love for us. We would ask, Lord, if there's anyone here that has never given their life over to this story in your love, that today they would do that this morning, that they would offer themselves to you even now or during the prayers in a second, to say, Jesus, here am I. You are so surprising that I'm surprised I'm giving myself to you today. But I do, and I cry for your help. I would offer up others, Lord. I know many of us here have had heavy weeks and months and years and are in wildernesses and deserts. Would you visit upon them refreshment that only you can give because we're here? Would this story remind them and give them hope that they can keep their eyes on you, that you have not forgotten them, and that you can find them exactly where they are? We offer ourselves and ask all this in your holy name. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men.
why this 